0: Visit the Downtown Den. Join us through our website, all the W's, downtowninbusiness.com. Stay in, stay safe, visit the Downtown Den. Hi, good afternoon. We've got Laura Shove, who is the Managing Director of Transport for West Midlands, TFWM as an abbreviation. Just want to welcome you to a live event for Downtown in Business, Downtown into the Den and it's the Brummie Den. So as an adopted Brummie, Laura, I'd like to welcome you to us and people that are watching. Good afternoon to you.
1: Thank you. I'm really happy to be here.
0: Good afternoon. Right, just a little bit of history for you. Obviously, that black country twang or the Brummie twang (laughs) didn't quite shine through then. There's a little bit of an American accent, so if you can just how you ended up in beautiful Birmingham that might be useful for everybody oh uh,
1: the the same way I think it happens to to so many people which is uh which is I fell in love I fell in love with the man from Tipton and I've moved here and I've been here for uh what must be about 17 years now but I sound ridiculous when I try to have a fake British accent uh people say I sound like Madonna in the effect in her affected phase <laughs> So I have find have just, I've just kept my American accent. It suits me. And uh, yeah, and then people always underestimate you because they think you're American. So it's a good place
0: to start. Well, the Globe's convinced we're all, they've got, we've got this Peaky Blinders accent, haven't they? So we're going to have to <laughs> re-educate everybody. Anyway, so just a brief history of where you've been and some of the roles that you've been in. Uh, majority of them in a black country, and now obviously you've got a wider... West and Transport role, but yeah, just a little, little bit of a whistle stop over your, your history and your... Uh... Sure.
1: So, so I'm an urban planner by background and I have a master's degree in urban planning from NYU. Um, and my interest has always been how you make cities especially work um and so when i moved here i s- was still working in planning um and i worked um, in birmingham for a bit um, and then i moved to the black country consortium and i was their head of strategic planning working on their spatial plan um, across the black country and um, i'm still interested in urban planning i mean i'm interested in transport um specifically and that's what i've been focusing on uh, for probably the past decade, um, but I'm interested in what transport does to make a place a place. Um, mm. So, uh, I'm not an Anorak. I, I don't know what different models of trains and buses and I'm I'm, I'm not interested in timetables and train spotting. <laughs> I'm interested in how transport makes a place work and how it can make a place better and what it does to change people's lives
0: Okay, so let's just get the one bit about, you studied politics at Colorado as well, didn't you? I
1: did, yeah.
0: Is the politics uh, bit, has that that little bit of education been useful in your political arena, working for the West Midlands Combined Authority, do you think?
1: Yeah, it has, because of course, um, I was I was running transport for West Midlands um, when there was no mayor, uh, and yep. then, well, we had an election, and now, while well, we do have um, a mayor, but I've always worked for local leaders, um and for the leaders of council so it's i think transport is it's a very local issue to people it's a very important issue to people so it's always had a political dimension um, but the there's a there's a there's the difference in politics between the two countries is is immense um, yeah, it
0: I'm is. still learning okay so what's happened what's been good since west Midlands combined authority has been set up We've had quite a bit of investment into the region and the whole transport infrastructure and years of planning so i mean we're talking a 30-year plan so in a, in just a yeah. bit of a short sort of prose of that if you can guide us through that that would be really useful
1: yeah well for, for certainly from a transport perspective it's it's really been about devolution so yeah. If you, if you think about sort of what, if you're talking about building big capital schemes, take the Metro scheme, I'll use the Wensbury to Barley Hill Metro extension um, as an example. That's a scheme that um, predates me. That's a scheme that um, has been an aspiration for the region to build um, <clears throat> for well over a decade. Um, but it's, oh, it, it's, been un, it's just been impossible to deliver. And what, what happened through devolution was the it was the ability for the West Midlands to come together and to determine um what its priorities were and how it wanted to invest its money. And so through devolution and through the devolution agreement, we were able to finally secure the funding that we needed to get that scheme um, up and running. So for me it's all about devolution. I, I can't ever believe for a single second that people sitting in London know more about what the needs of Birmingham and the region are. Than the people who are sat in Birmingham. Um, even just train service, you know. I'm always I always laugh when I talk to the rail team at the DFT because I take the train every day. So they, they like to tell me how the service is. So you don't, you couldn't possibly know better than we know here about what it is that we need locally. And in transport, that's really, really true. So so that coming together of all seven metropolitan authorities and our non-constituent members being really clear about what devolution means for the region, what funding it was going to get and how it wanted to invest it, just gives has been able to give transport the kind of certainty that we need in order to build these big schemes because they cost hundreds of millions of pounds and they take years to build. So unless you are certain, if you've got that funding certainty, they don't get started. So for us, we've seen a real renaissance in being able to try to start to promote um, investment and being able to deliver, so that's the other big thing. As we've we've had some uh, major successes over the past few years, we opened yep. the in December on time and on budget, and that's given a lot more confidence to government that we can build metro schemes here in the West Midlands. Um, and then we decided also to take the metro in house, and that was a decision that we made through the Combined Authority Board, which has been fantastic. So TFWM not only are responsible for building the new extensions, but we also um, are responsible for the operation of, of Midland Metro Limited. Um, and being able to borrow against that fare box is also being able to allow us to continue to invest. So some really big, important decisions that have freed us up to allow us to get on and do what we want to do.
0: Excellent. So we've got a 30 year uh, strategy transport strategy. And I've seen a number of your presentations and talks yeah. around that. But can you just help help me and our viewers to decide how you prioritise who has what, when? It's limited funds. You know, we, we build something, we go out, we challenge government, we take on more funds and then we feed into this. So we're talking billions of pounds and we're talking massive 30-year infrastructure. How do you know what we're going to need in 5, 10, 15, 20 and even 30 years? Yeah. If we, look, we, work- back, if yeah. we look back in Birmingham, we had a whole network of trams all across the city that i just just remember as a child you know you know as they were dissipating across the region how good they were clean energy worked well and actually seemed to always be on time now how are we going to not get back into that situation where we just alleviate all the good that somebody like you and a combined authority do for us yeah it's the same with
1: with rail you know there's that they're now looking at how to reopen all these rail lines that they shut down in the beaching era. Um, I, I, think, I think there's a real recognition about um, and a complete sea change in people's view about the environment and people understanding how important public transport is and the role that it plays in helping make, um, make it a cleaner, greener city. Um, and you, you can't have um, a region the size of ours without having mass transit. You know, we're, we're not as big as London by any stretch of the imagination, but it is the second city. So what we do is we look at where we look at population growth and we know that the region is growing. Um, and we know that we need to build, um, you know, a huge number of new homes to accommodate that growth. I mean, the last I looked, I think it's um, a city the size of Liverpool, 300,000 yep. moving into the region. Um, we know where our uh, health assets are. we with something we're acutely aware of at the moment um, with, which is how we are moving people to and from um, health facilities. We know where education facilities are and we, we understand where employment growth is, where housing growth is. And then we try to map where we think that gap is. So for any scheme, we start with demand. So we try to start with, you know, what is the problem that we're trying to solve? Um, is it that, there's a connection between I don't know the Winston Green Metro stop and City Hospital, and that actually people can't get from one to the other. So if that is, then we try to model what's the size of the problem that we're trying to address. We actually come to mode at the end. So you know, it's we don't start by going where do we want to build the tram. We start by going you know what is the what is the capacity that this network needs and how best do we fill it. Um, and it's important to build an increment so that you know, because cities um, are like organisms. So they build, they change, you know, but, but in general, we understand, we try to use the, the data and the modeling from planning to understand where people are, where they're planning on living, where they need to move to and through, what the numbers will be, and therefore start to think about what the right solution is for them in transport terms.
0: So we could almost guide where people are going to live so if we put the transport routes in originally in the middle of nowhere you know reaching the city out the kind of and things like that we could almost guide where people are going to live where housing estates are going to be and things like that with transport
1: you absolutely you can and in fact there are a lot of planning conditions um, around the region that say if you want to if you want a site to come forward for housing it needs to be well connected onto the public transport network because transport in and of itself doesn't do anything. I mean if you build a road or if you build a train line between two places that nobody wants to go between, it doesn't do it, it doesn't do anybody any good. so you have yeah. to be serving you have to be serving demand and we also know that that houses see an increase in value so um, if you look at the metro line one that runs between Wolverhampton and Birmingham, we know that house house values have a slight increase with it when they're within walking distance from a tram stop.
0: Okay. So we're, we're looking to invest, correct, correct my figures, about 1.3 billion in the next 10 years about opening up the metro rail and things like that. Is that correct?
1: Yep. It's quite a big challenge. But yeah, there's, we've a huge, huge back uh, program of schemes we'd like to see delivered.
0: So if we, after nationalisation of the rail, all the branch lines disappeared and were closed and things like that. And so we're going to open branch line. Andy Street's got a, a mindset of opening branch lines, which is excellent. We're going to open all the, uh, the metro rails across the, sister, uh, across the West Midland system and things like that. That's good. Can we affect motorways? Can we do anything for motorways? Can we look at M6 toll? Can you influence that?
1: um i I think as so the it's a it's a private concession so it's run by a private company canadian company i think isn't it yeah the influence we have there is um is in joint working so you know one of the things that we uh, we always agree on is that we want as many people using their road as possible um because for me that gets people off congested um congested motorways and especially freight i'd like To work with them to see what we can do to encourage more freight to use that road um, when when it's free and available. But one thing, for example, we have been able to do with them and with Highways England on the motorway network is to be really clear in the signage about, you know, there's something coming up ahead. The M6 toll, you know, this is what it costs, but this uh, this will be the journey time if you take it so that businesses can make a decision on whether or not it's the right choice for them to use that road.
0: Okay, so... Looking at technology, so if we're looking at smart technology, enjoying everything up, we're looking at five G. Can I guide you into giving us some advice and some information around how five G is going to affect yeah. the, the transport situation around West Midlands?
1: Yep. Um, so we have a really great forward-thinking innovation team, um, but when we talk about connected and autonomous vehicles, they have to connect to something else. So so that 5G network um, is is going to allow us to help deliver smarter roads, smarter infrastructure, and smarter vehicles, whatever type of vehicles those are. So um, if you think about this, if you think about sensors, you know, everybody knows when they, there's certain lights that you can approach. And as soon as you approach, if nobody else is coming, they turn green. Now, they're, they're so great. There's nothing more frustrating now than approaching a set of Traffic signals and you stop and wait and you think, well, why aren't these turning green? There's nobody else coming, you know. Um, and that's all about the that's all about the intelligence of the sensors on the network. And what 5G does is it just allows those sensors to talk to each other more, more, more rapidly, more effectively. And so it will also help guide, for example, if you have um, an if we get to a point where we have autonomous cars on the road, how those cars are talking. Not only to each other but also to the road itself so that that all of that needs 5g in order to work uh really really effectively we'll be able to have smarter roads than we have now so we'll be able to understand congestion we'll be able to you can make um better decisions about how you tell people to travel um, and which way that they need to go and some of that is all that data that we get through ways already that is that is fed in 5g just enables us to have that work faster work smarter work more reliably Um, i always say one of our challenges is we have a network that's completely in the peak at capacity you know the roads are at capacity the railways at capacity the buses are full so the key is how do we get the most out of what we have while we're waiting to build more um, and using, using technology and innovation to eke that capacity out of whether it is our roads. Um, you'll see in some places uh, around the world where when, you, when they know what train you're waiting for, it will tell you where there's um, spaces in different carriages. So try carriage D, because there's six seats available there. So it just allows people to make more informed decisions about, about everything that they're doing. Um, and then if you think about ambulances, I know this was an example that, that was well, well publicized, but an, an ambulance, when it picks a person up, A, with 5G, the roads can know it's an ambulance coming, but B, it's transmitting that health data back to the, back to the hospital before it even yep. arrives there. So again, just an example of how it's making a vehicle uh, much smarter and much more effective.
0: So communication pretty much is the underlying thing, looking at the big screens around the city, turning the advertising screens into information screens, guiding people through, you know being able to override and look at different stuff and things like that the The emergency service is particularly interesting to me because I spent twenty years in the fire service, spent ten years driving fire appliances, trying to get fire appliances through the city, although the, the you know the drivers want to help you and want to do the right thing you know you're on top of them before they react and things like that mm. so if there's some way of pre-arming pre-warning guiding people to you know open a lane clear a lane get the emergency services through would be infinitely sort yeah. of beneficial and things like that so what about new technologies autonomous vehicles and things like that so I've part of my business is working in autonomous vehicles so I've been working for Lilium created an autonomous flying taxi with clean energy you know, that the CAA have given provisional licenses in Germany to use and things like that. This technology's here. It's gonna be mm-hmm. here. So we'll be seeing literally flying taxis. Have we got that in our 30 year strategy? Have we considered that far ahead with technologies?
1: I think I think it's challenging to think that far ahead because in a yep. way you don't know what to plan for. Um and you know what will what will take to the skies and and, and what what won't but most people if they have a modern car it is at some level already um autonomous
0: i think you Um, can see that uh, the top of livery street car park suddenly being for only flying vehicles only you'll see a sign being created probably in the next five to ten years and things like that so the 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 new modern uh up-to-date cars and some of them are 5g ready fit particularly well Autonomous flying vehicles is not beyond the realms of capability and probability. That sort of things will happen. How do we deal with the older vehicles that are around? Let's talk about emission. Let's talk about our clean air zone. How do we tidy up? Because if we look at now with the COVID, and we'll come on to that, the challenges that you've gone through around the world. Suddenly they're talking about India and different countries now. Seeing the Himalayas, they haven't done that for 30, 40 years. And the the whole air zone is becoming sort of cleaner and things like that. Now, being a slight environmentalist, I'm sitting there thinking, this is pretty cool. There's a lot of lessons to be taken out of the COVID disaster. Let's take the positive, you know the positives out of it, and things like that. If we just ban vehicles from the city center, that that would be okay, but we we're going to have businesses that are going to starve and things like that. How do we balance that out? So one, one question at a time, how do we deal with old vehicles with emissions and, and, and poor performing vehicles with interacting with new 5G technologies mm. and things like that? If you can guide us through your thoughts around things like that, yeah. that'd be useful. Well, it's a real
1: it's a real challenge. And it's certainly certainly I would be always suggesting that if there was another way to get, so Birmingham city centre is a prime example, <clears throat> which is it's very well served between bus, between rail and metro. So I'm always questioning to people, why would you drive to Birmingham anyway, for those people that must and businesses that need to, there will always be people who need the road network. And what we need to do is get people who who are making non-essential journeys off the road. That's essentially what covid has done which has taken non essential journeys and s- stopped anybody making them um, yep. and, and as a result there you know there's just there's just less emissions and and as you point out there are um, mountain ranges becoming visible uh for the for the first time um i think if you talk to small business owners especially and you may know better than i do but what they say is they need a scrappage scheme you know people don't want to be driving Old vehicles it's not yep. because they they love to pollute that they drive them um, it's because that's the van that they have it's because they can't afford to replace the van and it's because they it, and it's there's no financial incentives so there has to be a mechanism by which you can incentivize people to get out of so um, those co- heavily polluting vehicles. The
0: government's run scrappage schemes before and probably we could pick that up from downtown in business and maybe push that through local MPs and we could take it up with Andy Street and see where we are for there that would be useful but i think how do we get the transport into companies and keep businesses in birmingham city centre alive you know why why we're going to start putting charges on and things like that i think the charge has been knocked back for a while but it ultimately it's the right thing to do protect the environment protect the air that's right but how do we keep businesses alive in the city centre i mean yeah. if we if we specifically said that transport The metro was free between 8 or 7.30 and 8 o'clock in the morning. We drive people into work an hour early, potentially, and maybe get them home an hour early. That's an ideal thing. Now, I'm not head of the finance, and I haven't got to pay everybody's wages, infrastructure, or anything like that. But clearly, as a political whim, something like that, free transport into the city, answers all of those argumentative sort of folks that tend to have a bit of a dig. What do you think?
1: well I, I don't know i think there are pl- quite a lot of people that drive into the city because they like to drive into the city because they don't but like we- to be on public transport and whether or not it was free might not uh, might not change their mind um but okay. i do think when you ask people to, st- if you ask most people to to come and say you know well, what's one of the best places you've ever been what's one of the greatest cities that you've ever been to most people give you an answer and they they talk about oh, you know, it was great because you could walk anywhere. There were parks and there were no cars. And most people don't t- say the loudest, dirtiest, most congested city. So people, I think, in their hearts know what makes a great place. And limiting um, non-essential car journeys out of the city center, and this is my personal view, will certainly make it a better place. I know I like to walk places where there aren't cars and where it's quiet yep and where it has that sort of, that sort of street culture. So we, we need, but we need people also to know that they're, um, that choosing to drive is, is not okay. For, for businesses that rely on deliveries, um, I saw something the other day, it was a, I think it might've been um, Dusseldorf in Germany, but um, they were setting essentially an outer ring road um, and, and deliveries could get to that point where they could unload. And then they were being delivered by electric uh trike like a three-wheeled bike so the deliveries could come into the city center but you didn't have to have big polluting vans And, and you know and some of this too is parcel delivery is people who are at work all day so they they need to order something they order it online they have it delivered to to work you know people just need to be really thoughtful about what that means that means there's a delivery van that's driving around the city center that doesn't need to be there so how can we keep those distribution hubs a bit further out and then maybe use a more sustainable mode of transport to help get those goods to where they need to be? That's one idea. Like I said, I just saw being trialled in Germany, which is interesting.
0: OK, definitely uh, looking at electric vehicles and things like that within the city centre is way ahead. Free mm-hmm. transport for people who work in the city centre on the metro. You couldn't do anything more than that. But let's leave those. Let's leave well, those people yeah they are full
1: those services are already full um, yeah, yeah. But, okay. but but we are really conscious about the fact that you know keeping transport affordable for the people who rely on it is really, yeah. really important um and we don't mm. operate the buses at t f w m but we do work really closely with our bus operators to make sure that we're setting uh routes and fares that you know like i said that are that are that are just for people who depend upon that network there there are a lot of people who have no private vehicles in you know, there, there yeah. a lot of people who rely entirely on public transport it's got to work for them
0: and there's a lot of people living in the city center around that now that are just walking commuting via yeah. things like that okay so let, let's have a look at other routes of transport and things like that so bike lanes and things like that is that in your domain that you know are you influencing that
1: yeah i mean we 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 again it's that same bit about trying to identify where are people going from where are they coming to where's the right place to put them um and and where's the space to put them um birmingham have done a great job they've introduced a number of um of key cycleways. Uh, throughout the city but there's a there's a huge amount more to do to promote um, active travel um, but again it's it's about getting that balance right getting them in the right place where they'll be well used um, and people want to be kept um, segregated away from traffic which uh, yeah. you know there's a there are all sorts of cycle lanes all over the country to take a look at but certainly i think what we've been learning is that the most popular ones are those that have that bit of a barrier between people who are cycling and traffic Um, and then that gives people the confidence to ride with their kids for people who are just learning to ride. Um, Whereas the sort of white line um, and sharing the space uh, doesn't doesn't necessarily attract the same level of use. So we're constantly trying to learn and learn from other cities about where it's being done well. Um, but i would say we are that's an area where we're we're far behind we don't have anything like the kind of cycling infrastructure we should have and there's a lot of work to do to put that right
0: but we have got plans for that you're taking it you know on board and things like that
1: that's so right that, we've got some funding for it as well
0: what, what what's interesting for me is that uh, i sit as vice chair of what's which is world again single-use plastic we've taken on the initiative to work with the commonwealth games 2022 to use all the canals and waterways. So obviously we're going to Mm -hmm. use our boast, which is Birmingham's got more waterways than Venice, Um, but that can be opened up to use as routes and things like that. So for the Commonwealth Games, there's 22 miles of canals and waterways. It's going to be cleaned up and opened up and tidied up and in places made safe for public access. So you're going to be able to go from Gas Street Basin all the way down to Alexander Stadium. And backwards and forwards between different venues is there any mindset to reopen the canals and maybe use those again transporting you know for transport maybe bringing goods up canals and things like that seem to have been a good idea in the 19th century and things like that but with technology yeah. is that an opportunity so and certainly is. move people by the uh, the canal walkwise yeah the
1: canals and rivers trust are are a fantastic charity organization who who are yep. working at, you can see in the city center of birmingham um where where people do sort of commu- essentially commute from the arena you can get all the way to to the mailbox um so the, the towpaths are are phenomenal for walking and cycling and a huge asset to the region um, and when they are tidied and well lit and well used and people feel safe on them they're absolutely an incredible asset to have. And so all that investment that that um, CRT and organizations like yours are making to make sure that those bits of canal are safe and lit and, and people can use them is, is tremendous. Um, there is there is the link that goes to the university on the canal, that's a pretty good one. One of the challenges we have uh, maybe more in the black country is just the amount of locks uh, which definitely slow down um, commuter traffic <laughs> uh, yeah. from being able to 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 use them. But um, you know, going back to that conversation about urban planning, you know, I mean, they are they are part of the of the network. They're they're part of our green open space network, but they're also very much part of our active transport network. Um, and what we'd like to see, especially out of the Commonwealth Games, is a real legacy for cycling for the region. Um, and and a bigger and wider take up of cycling in the West Midlands than we have.
0: So, how many people are we expecting to come into the West Midlands during the Commonwealth Games? How you know, I'm visitors? not quite,
1: I'm not quite sure. I know the answer to that because they haven't put the tickets on sale yet. Um, but I, I'm sure the worldwide audience, um, at least on uh, the television, is is in the millions. It'll well, be a great showcase for for the West Midlands.
0: There were seven billion people listening to the opening ceremony and things like that, which was quite impressive. And there's going to be billions of people kind of listening to the events. I think we're looking at a million or so people coming into the region and things like that. When will we start thinking about where these people are going to go, how we're going to move them around and things like that? So how does your organisation ramp up to cope with events like that?
1: Yeah, so we have started. So we have a Commonwealth Games Draft Strategic Transport Plan that's up on the website. So yeah. we know uh, we know roughly where the venues are um, and we know roughly the scheduling of events. So, you know, for example, if you know where the pool is, you know, the there's between the swimming and diving, there's morning events and there's afternoon events. We know where the opening ceremony will take place. We, we know where the uh, Athletes Village is going to be. So the modeling yeah. work has, has begun. Um, spectator numbers are a little bit more difficult because obviously until we sell the tickets and know where the, the people are coming from, hard to know how we'll, we'll move them around. But there's, um, there's a lot of investment going on. So if you think about the A34 um, <clears> in, the, in the area around Perry Bar where there will be a huge amount of um, Commonwealth Games related activity, um, there are plans to rebuild the train station, which will be fantastic. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it needs investment. I think is safe mm-hmm. to say. Um, we're looking at um, what is called a sprint bus, which is essentially it's a hybrid between a regular bus and a tram, with a dedicated with dedicated running and journey time reliability running down the A34. If you go over to the university, where uh, they'll be hosting um, a number of events as well, University Station um, should be rebuilt um, in time for the games. University Station um, is actually a busier train station than crew, which most people don't realize. It's only got two platforms. Um, But with the university and all the uh, health assets there, um, it's an incredibly busy uh, station that's not fit for purpose. So again, redesigning that station there, um, and then obviously we'll have some temporary uh, bus lanes in terms of moving um, athletes, in terms of moving spectators, and then there's something called Games Family, which are all the uh, all the other people, the media, who need to move between um, venues and where they're staying. So it's it's hugely complicated. Uh, like I said, we've done the first draft of the plan. We've that we've taken that out for consultation, um, and then we work really closely with the organizing committee, um, who've hosted games in other cities. Um, to make sure we're learning the lessons of, of other cities. But I, I think, it you know, given where we are, it really should be a clean, green public transport games.
0: Excellent. I mean, with we, we, people like Ian Reid leading as CEO for Commonwealth Games and people like that, John Crabtree as chair, you know, mm. globally sort of experienced people and things like that, I think we're in good hands. Now, let's deal with COVID because you, you know, you've done a sterling job, moving key workers around the city and things like that. But if you can talk us through your strategy, where you are at the moment, where you think it's going to take us and things like that, that'd be quite useful.
1: Yeah, it's been really, really, uh, it's been really challenging, um, obviously, needless to say, because um, the first sort of, the first bit of work we had to do was to figure out what a temporary network was going to look like. So, um, you know, Uh, We have we have the the rail companies were taken back into DFT and they're looking at their timetables and what routes they're going to run Um, Obviously, we've got um, We're quite tied into the bus companies understanding what they're running and we run the metro but trying to reduce the service because obviously there's a reduction in staff who are able to work Um, but we needed enough space to keep people people socially distant so you couldn't have a crammed bus. You need enough buses to make sure that if you need to take the bus you can sit far enough away from other people to be safe. So trying to understand what that network would look like in a reduced service, how we would keep people safe was the first challenge. Now the network is really stabilized which is good. Um, We're making sure that we're serving all of the key hospitals but and, but we really want that network to be for the people who must rely on it, for people who have to be traveling yeah. um, and 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 in not encouraging people to use it. So, again, a bit of a strange position to find ourselves in to say, we've done a great job getting the network, but please don't travel. Please don't travel. Yeah, please yeah. don't travel. So that's the message, you know, we're trying to reiterate, which is absolutely do not take public transport unless you have to save it for those people absolutely rely on it
0: the feedback so the feedback so far is that you've done an excellent job you and the team and things like that so on behalf of the Midlands people thank mm -hmm. you for that and congratulations on that point it's Um, been
1: it's been it's been actually a real privilege to be able to do it so we've had some great partners so you know we pay for a ring and ride service we've repurposed those vehicles so they're taking key workers from transport hubs into, into hospitals. We were able to make free 9.30 travel available to older people who, especially older people who don't have cars because we were finding that they were, they were doing, their shopping hour might be between eight and nine at the local supermarket, but they didn't have a car. So yeah. because they, their, their pass was stopping them traveling before 9.30, they weren't actually able to take advantage of that. So we were able to make that free and then working with partners and we chose ourselves to say that any um, NHS worker and children of key workers could travel on the network for free. So we've um, again, but trying at the same time to, to limit the people who are traveling and make sure they can do it in a in a safe way.
0: So having control of the transport system has been particularly useful for you because you can make decisions overnight and implement them um, pretty much the next day and things like that. Which is yeah. excellent. So and it the, brings us
1: full circle to devolution,
0: which exactly. is why I'd
1: love to see more services devolved <laughs> to us in the region to allow us to 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 run them. In my which opinion, was going to
0: be better. which was going to be my next question. So the, the rail network has been particularly challenging, and Andy Street has found some frustration um, over the last sort of twelve months or so, and things like that. What's the in the future for the the railway system and things like that? Is it coming under your control? When does it come under your control? and what's that going to look like in the very short future
1: so sadly not in under my control anytime soon i don't think we are um all awaiting a national white paper something called the williams review which is which is the which will be highlighting and out for consultation on some of the next steps on what rail devolution might look like i think there's a pretty wide industry recognition that the system that we have now um, doesn't work as well as it needs to um, and then the the big question that Keith Williams was asked to try to figure out is well so what happens next what could devolution look like um, what would it look like in in regions and I mean part of the problem is, is, as I'm sure you can appreciate is West Midlands Trains operates pretty much our local network but it has to interface with um, Avanti which was which was virgin and cross country so they' are national services running through local networks um, and so how you find the right level of devolution and control on who makes those decisions about what can and can't and shouldn't shouldn't happen in the region is 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 one that's probably up for still up for some debate so I'm, I'm hoping uh, in the not so distant future, we'll have a white paper from which we can start to think about what that will mean for us in the West Midlands.
0: If we take control of the, uh, the the railways and things like that, it just seems to give us the complete package, doesn't it? It pulls everything under our jurisdiction, our control. Really, it's got to happen, hasn't it? So, you know, let's keep lobbying, let's keep supporting you, and giving you as much influence as possible. So, if you want to contact any of the businesses within the West Midlands and things like that. Downtown Business is obviously a great platform to do that. You know, and I think we're talking about setting up probably, you know, some events around you, meeting some key business leaders from Wolverhampton all the way down to Coventry and things like that. Mm -hmm. So we'll invite you you to do that. I think for the the last few minutes, and I'm just looking at the time, bearing in mind that you've got other calls and things like that. We've we've taken up some of your time. Um, Just reaching back to 2017, when you won uh, a COBBA Award. I and did. The award, the award was a Contribution to Transport and Infrastructure, <laughs> COBBA 2017. What have you done with your trophy? Where is it at the moment? And do you, I haven't seen it on your CV. Is it going to go on your CV at some point? Oh, it think?
1: should. I, you know, I haven't. I can't think the last time I updated my CV,
0: <laughs> uh, but I
1: probably ought to. It tells you how much I like my job, I suppose, if, I, if, if my CV isn't up-to-date. It sits proudly um, in my office um, alongside uh, some of the team awards that we've had. Although that is, that's the only individual award I have ever won. And uh, incredibly, it, I can't remember, I think my son was ill. I couldn't make it to the award ceremony. So I think Louise, people no, no. picked it up for me. Um, you C-
0: CEO for the Combined Authority oh, deputized. She yeah, said, she it
1: was in my office when I got back the next day.
0: Yeah, that's, that's right. Okay, uh, just want to thank you for your time today, for your insights into what's, uh, what, the, what your history, what's happening now, what's going to happen in the future, you know, dealing with COVID and things like that, for the good reporter, for that. You've got an incredibly difficult task. You seem to be doing a great job and things like that. And I just want to thank you on behalf of Downtown Business and the residents of West Midlands combined authority, Laura, your, Thank you. uh, for your continued efforts and for your time today. Thank you Thank- very much, and hopefully, we'll speak in a very near future. Yeah, Take hopefully, care.
1: face to face.
0: Yeah, definitely. Take care, be safe, and keep away from this virus. Thank you very much.
1: I will do. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye.
1: Bye.